0: Uh, what got you there what got you, got you? Got there got there with Shondalini. Got you there with what got you there with Chase
1: Jarvis is an award-winning artist, entrepreneur, and one of the most influential photographers of the past decade. He has created campaigns for Apple, Nike, Red Bull, and others, was a contributor to the Pulitzer Prize-winning New York Times story Snowfall and earned an Emmy nomination for his documentary, Portrait of a City. He also created Best Camera, the first photo app to share images on social networks, and is the founder of Creative Live, where more than 10 million students learn photography, video, design, music, and business from the world's top creators and entrepreneurs. Chase joins the podcast to discuss his new book, Creative Calling. On this episode, you'll learn why life isn't about finding fulfillment and success, but it's about creating it. Creativity is a force inside every person that when unleashed, transforms our lives and delivers vitality to everything that we do. So get ready to tap into your creative side on this episode.
0: If you guys are like me and love listening to podcasts, but don't always have time to listen to the complete episodes, you need to check out podcastnotes.org. What Podcast Notes does is they take the most popular and best podcasts around and distills them down to written breakdowns of each individual episodes. They cover health and wellness, startups and entrepreneurship, leadership, innovation, and critical thinking. You can even find the breakdown of some of the What Got You There podcast episodes at podcastnotes.org. I highly recommend you guys checking them out making change transpire. That's the mission behind the most amazing tasting protein bar brand taking the nutrition industry by storm. That brand, they're MCT Co, and they make the most delicious, keto-friendly, all-natural collagen protein bars. If you're obsessed with the quality of food going into your body like I am, then head out and pick up these amazing bars jammed with 10 grams of collagen protein. They only have two to three net carbs, no added sugar, and loaded with high-quality MCT oil for the healthy fats from coconuts. Whether you're busy running the kids around from activity to activity, a professional athlete, or just someone looking for a great-tasting convenience snack, do yourself a favor, head to mctco.com and use code WGYT for 20% off your order. Do you guys miss your favorite childhood cereals but had to give them up because of all the sugar? Meat? Catalina Crunch, the world's first keto friendly zero sugar cereal in delicious dark chocolate, cinnamon toast, maple waffle, and honey graham. When the founder of Catalina Crunch was diagnosed at age 17 with type 1 diabetes, he set out to satisfy his chocolate craving and created his own. This low carb, zero sugar cereal will power you through the day with 10 grams of plant based protein, 6 grams Grams of fiber to fill you up, and is also gluten-free, grain-free, dairy-free, and 100% plant-based. Don't forget about that turmeric as well to help fight inflammation and boost immunity. If you want to enjoy and receive 10% off your entire order, head to CatalinaCrunch.com. That's Catalina C A T A L. -L 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 I-N-A crunch.com and use code WGYT10 for 10% off. I just finished snacking on some of the dark chocolate and it was delicious. You guys need to head out and pick some up today. Chase, welcome to What Got You There. How are you doing today?
2: I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show,
0: Sean. No, of course. Yes, you are one of the reasons this podcast is even around, so I need to thank you for that first and foremost. But This is going to be a jam-packed episode. What I love is that you're at the intersection of a lot of different things, creativity, entrepreneurship, sports, and even more. But let's begin and start with, how do you usually start your day?
2: Oof. I'm a freak about this. So it's, I think it's pretty well documented on the internet. So it's a, a doozy of a question to start, start with. But um, I learned through, um, I think, doing it wrong for a long time that protecting my mornings was ultimately a, a huge key to personal power and to um, you just realize that I think we're sold a script that we're this sort of cork bouncing in the tide and that things happen to us rather than for us and that we can't control our own, you know, our own points of view and our time and that everyone out there is sort of taking from us. And so like starting with my own day, I realized that if I took the time, sometimes even just, you know, 10 or 15 minutes to, uh, I think of it as sort of as programming myself to get ready for the world that I want to make rather than one that I'm subject to, um, that my whole world was different. And so my mornings, um, you want to get tactical is that is that part of the objective here we you ever going straight in or do, is that conceptual
0: well i love the higher level conceptual but i love it there's just a few tactics obviously this is much more about the higher level things and the way you've constructed things but yeah a few tactics would be great
2: sure well it, it starts out um just to to hit one more note on the tactic or on the the conceptual start like if you think of it as i was just describing that the world has and it's not an it's not an evil place but it has its own desires for you your parents have desires your boss um the neighbor across the street whatever and if we wake up sort of without a plan then all of those forces that are trying to get something with it from us or influence us or shape us in a way that suits their world then we're automatically sort of in the back seat so I like to start off with my my own day with trying to put myself in the driver's seat of my own life. And that has a lot to do with um, creating a little bit of space for, um, I, I meditate as an example, and this is a learned behavior. I wasn't, you know, I didn't do this as a young child or anything. This is, I'd say, the last eight to ten years. Um, I, I hesitate to go too deep because it feels a little bit trendy, but it, it has been a massive lever for me, and and what what I do, transcendental meditation, but it's just 15 minutes, and it helps get me off to the good start. I also, um, again, the stuff is well documented on the internet. I do a handful of of things that um, are maybe a little bit esoteric. I I take, uh, I have a cold plunge at my house. Uh, and I'm I'm here at a, we have a little a beach house north of Seattle, uh, 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 an hour and a half where I spend a lot of time. And that's the Pacific Ocean. And it's 51 degrees or 48 degrees. So between my ice bath and that, um, I do that every single day. And if I'm not near either of those places, if I'm in a hotel room, then it's um, super cold shower. So that, plus I get some protein in the morning and I spend Uh, a few minutes being quiet, visualizing what I want my day to be like. Notice what's not in here is very bit as important as all the things that I am doing. And that is I'm not checking my email the first thing in the morning. I'm not um, just basically subjecting myself to everybody else's to-do list. I think that's the, those are the keys. And there's a bunch of this stuff in the, I think we're going to talk a little bit about the new book that I've got coming out called Creative Calling. And it's, there's a a very substantial part about how, how you need to take control over your own life. And the way I talk about it is if you don't write your own script, someone else will obviously write it for you.
0: No, what I love about that is you said you you get in the driver's seat. So you're the one controlling it. Chase is behind the driver's seat of that Ferrari. He is ready to go. I'm interested though. Sometimes you mentioned-
2: it's a it's a jalopy. I'm not gonna <laughs> laugh. I'll have to,
0: we, to acknowledge that. We've all had those days. We do. Something I'm intrigued about though is I know you do a ton of travel mm-hmm. and you even mentioned up at the beach house right now, how do the different environments impact you?
2: Um I think it's different for different folks, but I also believe that as that we're wildly trainable. We're very malleable as humans and we can we're very adaptable. And part of my early career in photography, where I was traveling all over the world for a different client every week or every other week for you can know, do that for 10 plus years and you, there's a certain resiliency that you develop from you know different hotel rooms from one night to the next, or different countries or continents from one night to the next. So there's a little bit of uh, practice involved, but part of that lens helped me understand that if I needed to have this sort of precious relationship with my environment, that it was going to be really hard to have the living and the life that I wanted. So I decided. Uh, made an active decision to to do everything I could to create as much normalcy in my day and my environment internally, so that the external environment was really just incidental, and it was wherever I woke up in the world, um, or <laughs> just you know again as a as an early young photographer sleeping on a lot of couches and um, trying to make a go of it with not much not much not many resources. Um, like wherever you wake up that isn't the thing that defines you what defines you is the stories that we tell ourselves the mission and vision that we have for ourselves and then how we execute against that so it it's not a natural thing i think humans it's it's understood that it's easier on us if we wake up and have a really similar routine that being said i think that uh, if we put a little extra energy into programming us pro- programming ourselves rather that it can be a strength that can create this resiliency that helps us thrive and the mission and vision that we have for our our lives.
0: It's not a natural thing, but what I really appreciate is the amount of thought you've put into this. You you truly understand the impact that can have on your life. So I love that. And I want to know a little bit about your athletic background. We both come from a sports background and you had the chance to play professional soccer. So you had some skill there. How did your path into elite athleticism come?
2: Oh, um, well, ironically, it was a There was a little twist of fate, I'll say, and I I chronicle this in the book a little bit. I remember in first and second grade, I mean, you play sports as much as kids that age play sports, right? You run around and you play with your toys. And there's not really that much organization at that age. It's very, maybe the little beehive style soccer or whatever. But I remember um, I also loved to perform. I used to do magic tricks in front of my first grade class. Um, I remember uh, doing a lot of dancing in front of my just you know, I was a weird little self-expressive kid. And, and I remember there's this one sort of painful moment where I, I heard my, my teacher tell my mom at a, it's my mom, or my dad at a, at a parent teacher conference that I was a lot better at sports than I was at art. And so in, you know, and I was like, oh, that was a little bit of a cringeworthy moment. I remember, and I think I was in second grade and it just shows how sort of um, impressionable we are as, as young people. I remember, like, all right, then I'm sticking with sports. And I mean, that, I, you're like, what are you six or seven years old at that age? And so, for whatever you know, we can debate the merits or lack thereof. I just ran wholeheartedly into sports, and and um, it provided a huge um area of opportunity for me. It provided structure. I grew up lower middle class um neither of my parents uh graduated college it, it gave me the opportunity to go to college on a soccer scholarship at a top 10 um, soccer school in the country and so it provided a lot of opportunity both from you know as a young child collaborating with others um hard work discipline a lot of the typical i think structural elements that sports plays and then I did have a, a some um, natural ability, and so you put all those things together. Went on to play soccer at um, at a Division One school, and played for the Olympic development team um, in in years where there weren't Olympics, so it was a little, <laughs> a little bit less exciting in those years. But um, yeah, I, I was those are the tweener years. But it certainly created this foundation for me that both was sort of a fertile ground for um, some of the things that I wanted to accomplish with my life. And it also was the intimation of a path. I went on to pursue a career in photography after disappointing a lot of people and, and pursuing the, the dropping out rather of things that your, your question is uh, is points to here, which is I dropped out of this path to professional soccer. I bailed on medical school and I also dropped out of a PhD in philosophy to become a photographer. So the way that I, I integrated my sports background with my my passion for photography as I started photographing sports and in in particular action sports, skateboarding, surfing, fly fishing, climbing, ski, snowboard, all that stuff. And you know, I think that's part of the message of the book, and part of what I think the readers or the listeners here to your show want to take away is that whatever circuitous route you've taken to get where you are, that's where you're at, and you might not be able to understand that narrative. But if you look backwards and you can connect the dots, you'll see that all that stuff was required. To get you where you were today so in a long way your question about my background in sports it made it possible for me to have the career that i had as an action sports photographer which arguably launched my you know the the next several chapters of my life so there's all the tactical stuff around discipline and teamwork and collaboration and hard work and whatnot and then there's the the reality is it played an instrumental role in allowing me to pursue the things that that i wanted
0: Oh, it's so fascinating hearing the culmination of all of those things. And we're going to dive heavily into the book, Creative Calling. But what I want to know first is, what was the narrative like in your head while you were playing at these elite levels?
2: Well, quite quite transparently, it was, I don't belong here. Everyone else is so much better than I am. And I'm only here because I knew the right person and happened to score a goal that one game or that one scout was here. And, and I think, you know, that's part of the betrayal of our pop culture world that we're living in is and it's not it's, it's not intentional but it's just a product of the world we live in is that everyone's walking around or most people are walking around everybody that i know at least who i've sat with on my podcast um, or learned with through creative live or whatever it was like they have these voices in their head that tell us we're not enough that they tell us we're um, you know they call this imposter syndrome, and and so I was like everybody else. You know that was the narrative in my head, um, and the one little gift that I feel like I had either through genetics or through a learned behavior, was that I was just stubborn enough. Mm-hmm. To not take not take that as the answer and use that as motivation rather than the shame and the fear that it can sometimes cultivate. So that's not to say I didn't have those other aspects, but you know, I was really like, oh my God, how am I here? I have to work extra, extra hard because everyone else's universe is made on talent and mine has to be made on hard work. And you know, the reality is it's probably some alchemy of all these different things. But, you know, I say that just to just to continue to open up the dialogue around this is this is a, you know, we're products of our, we're social animals and we're products of a society that doesn't always give us the answers that we want and doesn't always program us in a way that we feel like is productive. And that's, you know, again, a huge piece of the book. And you can, with all these questions that are the background of the book, as we're leading up to the conversation there, like you see how critical all of these elements were to giving me the opportunity to write the book that I wrote, because this element of our calling in life it rarely lines up with the world that everybody else wants for you you know go back to our earlier point about every you know people try and shape your day not intentionally not to be mean that's just like that is how the forces of in a social society work and the same is true with with one's life right that they, they try and um people have a a intention for you your parents especially your siblings your friends they think you should ought want need to do these particular things that are on their list and the reality is that that also doesn't actually have to be what your life is about and not only does it not have to be about it that i don't know a world where the list that everybody else has for us is what we should be doing We have to learn to program and to listen to our own intuition, which is a a thing that it kills me. We're not taught this stuff in school. And, you know, that's part of what I'm trying to blow open with the book and with, you know, with my passion around sports and the life that I have built for
0: myself. The reason I think your story is so powerful and could resonate with so many people is you put out a laundry list of things that would have been the right path almost for you. from the outsider's perspective, it would have looked like that's the way to go. You mentioned med school, obviously, your athletic career, uh, your PhD in philosophy. And most people would have a tough time ever stepping away from one of those. And and you've been able to do that. So I'm wondering what, what is inside of you at that point that you can follow your intuition and not follow society at that moment?
2: Oh, Again, I don't want to gold plate this too much because what's really going on is like, oh my god, I'm letting down everybody in my life that that matters to me and I'm, you know, and it comes from a fear place, right? My parents want me to, oh, they've heard this narrative, this culture narrative about a starving artist. Why would you ever, you know, leave professional soccer or medical school to be a photographer? That's crazy. And and to be fair, my parents weren't sort of always overtly against this, but there's this underlying sort of theme culturally that it's Somehow risky to pursue the things that we all want for ourselves, when the 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 opposite is actually true. It's way riskier to pursue the dreams that everybody else has for you than your own. With respect to energy, what it does to your body, what it does to your mind, and you know that's the the foundation of the book. And specifically, like the the way that I um, countered that was through this sort of programming and I didn't take the same form that I talked about in you know with my morning routine but realizing that people can both love you and wish different things for you that aren't in your either best interest or they don't follow your heart and it's to me this like this little this little person that we're all born into You know, it's like we all have a heartbeat and we don't have to check if we have a heartbeat. We know it. Right. And the same thing is true with our creativity. Our creativity is in there. And it's this yearning for the thing that we want to be. That reminds us that we have this heart that is untended. That is that if we and if we don't start paying attention to that as individuals first and as a culture then we're seeing the products of that, you know, as as it, it gets into our body and it, it creates disease, it gets into our mind and makes us unhappy and unstable. And all I'm really trying to do and all I did as a, as a young person trying to figure this narrative out for myself was like started listening to that intuition and acting on it. And this basically the world started to unfold for me in a way when i started listening to that voice that we all have this is the call and when you listen to that thing and you start to pursue that path and you walk that path things happen and they think they happen differently they they um the universe is sort of conspiring to unfold in a way that's helpful to you even in the face of disappointing a lot of your your biggest fans and that's the part that we have to learn as a culture to overcome, that's what the book's about. And to me, I did it through like luck, ignorance, falling down over and over. Um, and it's a really imperfect, imprecise way. And you know what, here's the punchline. That's fine, <laughs> that's okay. You know, the, the the book is trying to be a roadmap for how to how to eliminate some of that pain and how to accelerate some of that stepping into the person that we wanna become. Um, you know, and, and the lever that I used, and I think that it is misunderstood is as creativity. So um, I don't know if that's enough of a teaser or if that answers your question enough. But to me, like, you know, these are there are these forces that are at work that have no negative intention, but for which we have to push through. And that little eight year old person who knows what they want to do. Uh, or that 28-year-old person who's changing careers, Like, if we listen to that voice, that intuition, that's the thing that's going to unlock the doors that are currently closed or that are um, helping you or or that are frustrating you, rather, with the current state of affairs, whether it's in your professional life or personal life or whatever.
0: No, that just made me think about a... A line in the book that really resonated and it's it speaks to, I think, a lot of people. So that line is it's about living a richer, deeper, more rewarding life than ever before. Embracing creativity in your life is like that moment when Dorothy steps out of her black and white Kansas house into blazing technicolor munchkin land. I mean, you couldn't have summed it up better than that when when you start to <laughs> see that light. So I love that line in the book right there. But can you even talk more about those early days. And and I'm wondering when you kind of transitioned from starting the new hobby of photography, really diving into it, and then when you felt your skills develop even further?
2: Yeah, that's a great question, Sean, first of all. And And this is the result of actually listening to that voice. In the same way that I said we had a heartbeat, we don't have to validate that. We all have creativity in us and we all have a pull towards something. These are things that You know, even if you're saying, like, right now, I don't know what my thing needs to be or wants to be, or great, then take some action, look a little bit into your past, what brought you a lot of joy as a kid, start doing some of that stuff. And you know what? There's a little piece of creative plutonium in you that is has enough powerful as enough power and energy for, you know, lots of lives. And when you start listening to that thing you start to feel that there's this pull and, and as I mentioned just a second ago, the universe starts to really help you or rather you start taking control and rather than being that cork in the tie, you start making decisions for yourself and you know put bluntly, you start creating your life. All the lives that you imagine or you look for, look at from afar that are that seems oh man, they got it all figured out, those were designed. those were created. Lives don't just happen. They're a product of creativity. And the same, it's the same exact muscle that we use when we take a photograph as create the arc of our lives. And that's the biggest secret, right? There's no, no one's saying this. No one's talking about how that's the same muscle. It's just at a different scale. So why then can't we start paying attention to this native inherent birthright that we're all given which is we're a wickedly creative species right that's what separates us from the other species on the planet is our ability to put two unlikely things together to form something new and useful whether those are tools or in the case of one's life like wait a minute i can take this passion for photography that i'm feeling in my bones that my grandfather and my father were both really into photography and i'm curious about it and i can take that and just one day go play with that and my love for sports And I can take some pictures of my friends who are skateboarding and the skateboarding that I'm doing. And we can share the camera and take different shots and experiment. And so what was going through my mind was, wait a minute. As soon as I sort of listened to that curious part of myself and started pursuing that curiosity, it seemed like life just got really easy. Not easy in the sense of like we. I didn't have to pay rent, and again, this is a little bit before I had to pay rent. <laughs> I was 14 at the time, but not that much earlier. You know, it was really because again, as a young person, I was programmed to do all these other things that everybody else wanted. But when I started listening to that voice that said, "You yeah, know, here's this camera, and your grandfather and your father were big hobbyists, and and you know took photographs of me as a kid, as a young kid playing sports," and I remember not loving the photographs of me because they were photographs of me but because they were moments in time they were just stories and 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 this very human connective tissue that what it really was and i didn't understand at the time was that photography is a universal language right there's seven thousand one hundred six languages on the planet and i can put a picture of a mother with a child in front of you that that love is unmistakable instant doesn't matter how old you are what culture you're from what your sexual orientation your age your ethnicity none of it matters and so I was tapping into that thing, that power of photography. As in, as a young person, I was like, "What if I pursued that? What if I just pulled on that string a little bit?" And that was like literally the words that were going in my head. Well, it's risky because A and B and C. But look at you! I'm not trying to be, you know, Ansel Adams. I just want to start to play. And that was the beginning of the thread that started my love and passion, what ultimately turned into a. You know, lifelong career as a photographer and an entrepreneur. And to me, that's the thing that it, that is missing is not these things, they always don't, don't always come out of nowhere and hit us on the head. Sometimes they take a long time, but it's there. It's there for everyone. And if you're sitting here listening to this thing, wait, I don't know what my thing is. You do. You just haven't, you've been conditioned to not think about it because that's the way society is constructed it's easier to manage (laughs) and to predict uh the gdp and how many people are going to go to college and all these things that our culture is you know it's it's not 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 helpful but it's just it's programmed around us and we have to be able to create a set of tools that will help us um listen to that piece of us that all of us have it sometimes it's a whisper and that's the part that's confusing but it's there for everyone and it was there for me
0: yeah, you mentioned pulling on that thread and it makes me think of a framework I follow and it's momentum breeds momentum and it's just those those little wins start to compile. And you mentioned the the universe almost conspiring together to help you out there. I, I'm wondering, was there a certain moment where all of a sudden it kind of shifted for you where this is not just so much of a hobby, I'm truly starting to really hone my craft at this and I think there might be a career in, in photography?
2: Totally, and I'll, I'll confess that I was it, it was shameful. And not because uh, I didn't love photography and not because I didn't um, think that it was doable, but because it just wasn't something that was um, widely accepted in the circles that I was raised in. Again, I was raised lower middle class and my family didn't graduate from college. Um, And to be fair, I mean, I'm also white male, born in the United States and born in this era. And so I basically have almost every advantage other than financial. And it was still, this is the part that I it's just, it's like it was still the hardest thing I'd ever done to have that curiosity, the pull, the desire to grab that thread, and know that it was sort of, it was it was at least neutral, probably frowned upon by nine out of every 10 persons in my life who had a desire for me or a plan for me as the young person who got good grades in school and was a good athlete or whatever the, the thing that you're naturally gifted at. And so the voice, it wasn't this, and this is the part that I'm trying to combat with the book. It wasn't this like, oh, this is awesome. Everybody loves that. You love photography. It was, oh man, now what do I do? <laughs> do I, do I actually do the thing that might disappoint people in my life? maybe even temporarily, maybe permanently? Or do I just take what is what is sold to me as the safe path? And, you know, it's not actually ever really clear what you're supposed to do. It's just that pursuing these whimsical dreams that we have, and especially around creativity that are just, you know, they're just, um, it's just whimsy. But the reality is, is it's practical as hell. And so what I decided to do, again, this is the part where we all have um, the ability and we all have this courage inside of us, this plutonium that I mentioned earlier that can power what we want to be and do with our lives. I just summoned just enough, not some, this is not some beat my chest story. This is like just enough to do it one time to tap into that juice, the goods that was there for me. And it wasn't like an overnight. It was, I took one picture and I got it back and I was like, that's cool. And, you know, back in the days it was like, you'd fill up a roll of film and it took you like three months to fill up a roll of film and you develop your roll of film, And it like, wow, I remember that. But at the core, and I think the message for the listener is that it's there. And I had just enough courage to start to do the thing that I wasn't sure about, but that I was curious about. And for me, That did turn into, you know, when you, you know, to go back to the point that you just made, Sean, about um, momentum, like a little bit of momentum created some joy and that joy created a little more momentum. And I started finding ways to get out of the things that everybody else wanted for me and to pursue the things that I did. And and lo and behold, it blossomed into a photography career. Now there's plenty of like hiccups and stumbles along the way. I don't want to go plate this path. But, you know, looking backwards, it really, really was that having just enough courage to do the thing a few times. And there's another thing that happens when you start doing this and you, you find joy. The people that were naysayers or haters or what they really are was just afraid for you because of the cultural narratives that are so dominant about starving artists or about pursuing your dreams that are too big and lofty and scary is that they see the joy that that brings you. And then those people, it's not really the universe conspiring for you, those people start to see how much these things matter to you. And again, these things that can be literally anything, you know, the, the definition of, of, or I guess the framework for the book is around creativity, but that's because this muscle of creating this life that this conversation you and I are having here right now is really about, it's the same muscle, just a different scale when we take a photograph, when we make a meal. When we build something with our hands or write com- computer code or whatever, it's the same muscle. And what I want us to do is acknowledge that and start to develop that muscle in a way that helps us shape our lives.
0: You talk a lot about the creativity muscle. When did the the entire idea for the book come to be? Has this been an ongoing thing for for over the decade of your career?
2: It has been, I confess. It's been <laughs> both love and fear-based so it's it, i would say the well let's, let me back up i've done a couple of photography books before um one of which was really well timed and was successful it was the first book of photographs done with an iphone it was called the best camera is the one that's with you and it was with the iphone one and two super early when the thing had like 0.3 megapixels or less than two megapixels i don't remember what it was um and there was, there was. I think I wrote four or five thousand words for that book, and these were just like little anecdotes and and pull quotes and stuff because it was largely a photography book. But I loved the process, and it was really stemmed. It stemmed out of writing more than a thousand blog posts on my on on my blog when I realized that I'm going to start writing about photography in hopes to build a little community around around the craft and around um, my work and starting to just share ideas because I didn't know, I had no idea. I didn't go to photo school. I would never assisted anyone a day in my life. So writing way back came as a sort of an experiment and a vehicle to try and build some community. So between the the blogs and that I I wrote for a long time at first, no one was reading. uh, And then, you know, some of the words that I wrote in a photography book, I would always desired to write something. It's just such a powerful medium, and I'm very, um, well, I don't think I've ever been, I've never been formally diagnosed with ADD, but I have a, I am passionate about a lot of things, and I follow shiny objects, and and so I had to make sure that taking on a book was not just one of those, like, little shiny moments, um, because it's a it's it's a project. I'm I prefer things that are really immediate. Like I started out as an oil painter, and then I went to acrylics, and I ultimately ended up photography, in part because my father and my grandfather, but also because painting was just too damn slow, and I wanted <laughs> to make something fast. And like basically, the you know, creativity of photography is that you're capturing an instant. In some cases, you know, one one thousandth of a second, and by contrast, writing terrifies me because I'm slow. I mean, I probably wrote 150,000 words for this book, which comes out, you know, it's about, um, I don't know, 75,000 words or something. And it was through a process, which I acknowledge in the book, and I think is a key to any creativity, which is just like sitting down and doing the work and experimenting and playing. So I've been at this book for probably three years, two years, sort of formally, three years informally. But it's been 10 years in the making or maybe, maybe longer, maybe 20 years. I just, I I feel like the book is well-timed. And at some point I, my, I've had, I have an amazing agent and I'd been in touch with him regularly and, and we'd kick it around every once in a while. And about two and a half years ago, I just sat up one day and I was like, I gotta get this thing out of me. It's eating away at me. And, uh, so I basically turned in a, paper to him it was like here's my framework and he was like oh my god this is you have to do this and i was like great go so uh a grueling process for someone who's a photographer and is satisfied by instantly creating a bunch of things um but you know i guess in there's a little the 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 patience required to write on a regular basis just remind and just take let me take on a really like a 60 second journey here so just get up in the morning with me at 4 or 5 a.m to find a little time to write because we all have busy lives and I'm doing this and I'm writing this book about creativity and making not just creative things on a daily basis but creating the living and the life that we want and I'm saying that the way to do this is just to get up and, and just take one step and put one foot in front of the other and then there's this massive resistance that I'm feeling to actually writing the book because it's five in the morning and I'm a terrible writer and these are the same things that happen to like this meta narrative that I was trapped in so I actually had to through the process of creating the book take my own advice, which was so painful, but it was also proof positive that it is really effective.
0: I feel like we're starting to pull on a really interesting thread here. And you mentioned that it was an experiment and a vehicle. And and what I'm so fascinated by is just you're at the intersection of a lot of things, creativity, entrepreneurship, thought leadership, and of course writing now. <laughs> How do you assess the blend of all of it? Mm.
2: I try not to. I, I let everybody else assess. And I just was that an Andy Warhol quote, like when everyone else is busy judging your art, you ignore them and just keep making it. And I think that's the same with, I guess, my arc, if you will. And I think that's part of, you know, that's the meta narrative of the book is it's like by honing this muscle, getting stronger at creating small things on a daily basis, that it's the same muscle that we use to create this life that we want for ourselves that we see when we close our eyes at night and look at this or look at the ceiling, look at the stars or whatever. And to me, the um, opportunity to do a lot of different things was born out of deciding to listen to that, you know, that whisper inside of us that we all have that, you know, whether you're eight or 28, when you when you hear it, and you start listening to that and you're you're rewarded for it be, with energy, with vitality, with meaning you know, and when you ignore that creativity, you're actually ignoring the meaning that you that your life could be having. And that's a really like that we're speaking in positives here, but there's there's a real dangerous side to to ignoring this small voice that we have and to not listening. And fortunately, you know i I ignored it for a long time. I had hundreds, no, not hundreds, I think just shy of a hundred thousand dollars in student debt from all that medical school debauchery. And the graduate school within philosophy that I dropped out of. And it was just enough to, I, I was able to recover from that. But when, when I, to flip the positive again, it's like, when I started doing that thing, I was like, oh my gosh, there's this energy and this vitality. And and I call it effortless hard work. It's certainly hard work to pursue any of these things that are esoteric or not just the middle of the road that culture will pay for you. And when I did that with the first thing in this case, maybe it was pursuing photography and oh my gosh, all these doors started to open and my life felt like it got easy. And what I did there is I put a pin in that. And I think this is to me a huge takeaway. It's like, wait a minute, if I could do that with photography, what other things am I interested in? And that's what gave way from, you know, in part to my desire to start to build, you know, products and businesses that helped other creators and, you know, I did the first iPhone app that shared photos to social networks, which ended up being a pretty big cultural phenomenon and of course I got my ass trounced by Instagram and that's there's a great story on the internet about that. I'll let you read that on your own time. Um, but you know if you uh, I had built what was the app of the year for the Apple i Store or Apple iTunes store in 2009 and millions of users way out in front of Instagram and it was like, wait a minute, all I did was apply that same logic to, pursuing what was, and when I was interested in photography with, you know, building tools for photographers, in this case, an iPhone app. So when you sort of, you do it once and you, you can be lucky, you got to do, you got to be sort of good to do it twice. And by good, I don't mean good at building businesses. I mean, good at listening to your heart At good at listening to that little whisper that we all have and developing that muscle. So I was good at those two things, which to me, you know, to bring it back to your question, which is like, I've, you know, I'm at the intersection of a lot of these different things. The cool part, and this is to me, is proof positive that the book isn't just like some panacea. It's it's an actual roadmap for how to think about this stuff and how to create repeatable results by listening to that part of us that we all have that we deny. So whether it's, you know, as a as a developer as a you know, an app developer or in the case of Creative Live, like Building a place where tens of millions of creators learn photography and design and filmmaking and, and music and how to build businesses, was that was the next thing. I was like, wow, okay, I built, I built a career as a photographer. I started building tools. So what about a platform where other photographers could meet one another and learn from the world's best experts around their passion? Okay, great. It, it's the same muscle. I'm just pointing my effort at a thing that I'm curious about. And I think the cool thing is, it's less about me and my particular journey, although I, I use that a little bit. And your, your question obviously is around my experience, but this is available to everyone. This is a repeatable system in the same way that if you work out, you will get stronger. If you eat clean, you will feel fitter. If you move your body more, it's easier to move your body. You know, these are, that's, that's, I think the macro here is that it's, it's
0: repeatable. The repeatable system. You distilled this and make this so clean. And you're really speaking my language here, which is why I, I really am enjoying this conversation about doing the hard thing, stepping away, but then understanding and experiencing how much better it becomes for you. And, and that really speaks to me because I've taken that leap as well. And understanding more about that feeling is, how much self-reflection thinking have you done over the years to get to this point? Because I haven't heard someone distill it down and articulate it like you're doing today.
2: I just I just spent years thinking about it every single day. <laughs> I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Uh, it wasn't an easy process, but it was so, um, I don't remember who said it. I think maybe, I don't remember, it doesn't matter who said it, but you can really only connect the dots looking backwards, right? And so... I had created just enough space in my life and had just enough experience where I was like, wait a minute, what the, like, what's the pattern here? And the pattern was very repeatable. It was about, you know, and there's a very simple framework in the book that um, there's, there's a couple frameworks. There's one meta framework, which um, is a system that I call IDEA. It's imagine, design, um, <clears throat> execute, and amplify and those are the four parts of the book four steps if you will to this process and i started just looking at like wait a minute like the challenge that so many of us have like is we only do half of that system if we imagine something and then design a plan to get there but we never actually act on it well that's the dreamer that's the person who just thinks all day and says i wish i should i could i ought i And never gets anywhere. Or there's the person who executes on somebody else's idea and amplifies it. They work in media. They tell stories for a living or whatever. But those are other people's ideas. And so it's by combining this very simple system that will help you with a creative project or with your life. And that is the full sort of idea framework. Imagining what your big dream is, whether it's just this project that's in front of you right now or, again, the the life analogy we keep going back to. Then designing a system of habits and a framework and a way of thinking or getting up early, your morning routine, all these these habits and designing a system by which you can repeat this over and over and move closer to your goal. And then executing that vision. That's the, you know, for me, it was getting up every morning when I didn't feel like getting up at five in the morning to write just for an an hour on this thing that I knew I wanted to put out in the world. Uh, And then amplifying that and and by amplifying i mean like you've i've spent a lot of time with a lot of folks asking questions about these ideas and in a way i had the good fortune of bringing these people along for me with the, the ride of making the book asking them to you know provide ideas and listening to the podcast to the chase service live show where i've interviewed more than a hundred folks the richard bransons arna huffington's Brene brown's tim ferris's Damon John's, Debbie Millman's of the world, and got their lens, and like, wait a minute. So, I had this community that could now help me amplify the idea, where I get more information and more stories. And lo and behold, now that you know we're sharing this book with the world, there are people like Sir Richard, who are like, this is a badass book that will help you. This is the system that I used, and and when you deconstruct the success of almost anyone. To me, this is this looking backwards to connect the dots. It looks some, some way, shape, or form like this system. You imagine this big idea for yourself. You devised a plan to get there. You it against that plan. And then you had a community with which to share it. Even if that community was one or three or five or ten people, community doesn't have to be millions of people. But that one or three or five or ten or 15 people can help turn your idea into a movement. So it's a very... You know, in, for a book about creativity, it's reasonably systematic and simple. And again, whether you're applying it to just an individual project or again, this life arc that we, we consistently refer back to in our conversation, it works just the
0: same. Definitely works just the same. And I'm pretty sure you have every single listener fired up about the book Creative Calling right now. So I know it's released September 24th. So, the listeners, this is live right now. So, you are hearing it. The book has come out today. But, Chase, I just want to hit on a few quick things. I love seeing life through your lens, your eyes. And I want to know what is it that's kind of outside the norm that you find beauty in and even get extra inspiration from? Is there anything that might be a little uncommon we wouldn't think of, but you found inspiration in?
2: Yeah um in stillness in quiet i think that's you know i am a, an extroverted person my wife is a very introverted person and together we find ways to make it work and balance and for me what one of the things that i've um i've learned is that there like there's sort of two modes right there's this mode of gathering information and inspiration and being out in the world and that's why i think all of us are ambiverts at one point. Like to say you're introverted or extroverted, that's just where you get your energy from. Like introverts get their energy from quiet. They can go spend that energy at a party or whatever, but that's where they draw their energy. And the, the opposite is true with introvert or extroverts, right? At a party in front of people, performing, sharing, etc. That's where we draw energy. And then we feel alone or quiet when we're when we're um when or, or yeah, we feel less um engaged or alive when we are quiet and what i've learned is that there's amazing opportunity and beauty and um and value in that other side of who we are and by listening to those moments and that time and creating the space to be able to acknowledge it like there's just this whole other world that for me again for me it was stillness and quiet and you know when you got to put 80,000 words on paper, you better get quiet for some of it. <laughs> right? So um, to me, the, the unexpected is that a lot of opportunity and joy lies in the other side, whether it's our shadow self or our the other parts of us that we have either denied
0: or that we are less um, eager to embrace. Well, thank you for answering it that way. I think that was an answer response and thought process a lot of people needed to hear. I've got one more for you. When was the last time you were truly shocked in a good way by a performance piece of art or something that you've seen?
2: Mm.
0: Wow. Um, Truly shocked.
2: Mm. All right, I got one. Um, There is a woman who is a cellist, now you know I I am a big fan of pop culture and hip hop and uh, punk rock and so the cello I never have I I don't play an instrument I sang in a in a band when I was in high school and it was terrible <laughs> so take all this sort of it was a very short time and there's a woman named Zoe Keating she takes the stage as a solo performer she sits down with her cello and she will light up that room or that concert hall or that stadium in a way that is so powerful with a single instrument. And to me, like that is, you know, what is it? Necessity is the mother of invention, right? Like having the idea of a band and all this stuff that, you know, it's hard to practice and find people who collaborate with. And so she just, and she basically, she plays multi-track and records them in real time and builds this amazing song in front of your eyes in real time in a way that I, it's so hard to describe, but it's so powerful. Just as an exercise for anyone at home who's like, put your headphones on the same ones that you're listening to this podcast and listen to uh, Zoe Keating's album Into the, I think it's Into the Trees, Into the Forest, Into the Trees, I don't remember what it is, Into Something. It's early. Her, one of her early albums. And of course her new ones are awesome too, but this was just one that completely rocked me and I've since become friends with her, but I saw her perform again recently, and it's just shocking how powerful this is. One woman on stage making all this music and emotion and resonance just with one, one instrument and a foot pedal. So check her out. She's amazing, and I was truly rocked by that performance. And I think that's part of like this whole deal, right, is being open to be inspired from unlikely areas, most commonly our childhood The things that are inside us that we're heart, we struggle to acknowledge. And that's in part what creative calling can do for you. I think it's a system that'll let you reflect on what you're doing and how it's different from what you want to be doing and then give you a path to get there
0: inspired from the those unrelated areas your podcast creative live originally got me into you got me experienced with with some of the smartest people in the world so i thank you for that and now creative calling you are doing it once again so i cannot thank you enough for that chase where else do you want the listeners checking you out
2: um, I'm just Chase Jarvis on all the platforms: Instagram, YouTube. Uh, we've got a large and really active community around that, and of course, uh, Cre- Creative Live, where millions of people go to learn from the top creators. As you mentioned, that's when inspired you to start the podcast, and where you've learned a lot of your skills and been inspired by. That's just at Creative Live and all those channels, and. There's a lot of people using the hashtag Creative Calling, even though the book's only been announced for a couple of weeks now. Um, as you mentioned, it drops on the 24th. If you order it, pre-order it, order it the week before, it'll arrive on that day at your house from uh, booksellers of your choice, wherever you buy books. So, thanks a lot for having me on the show. Um, it's it's cool to have this little full circle moment. We've you know swapped some notes before and had to have you have drawn inspiration from those things, and now to be on your show is just it's a treat. So, thank you for having
0: me. No, of course, thank you. And any listeners, if you guys use the hashtag creative calling, tag Chase and I, I'm gonna hook some listeners up with the books uh, because I do appreciate your work so much. But Chase, good luck with the rest of the book tour. And I, I truly can't thank you enough for everything you've done over the years.
2: It's a treat and an honor. And uh, I hope that other folks feel inspired to pull on that thread, that little quiet voice inside them
0: and um, go do it. Thanks for having me. You guys made it to the end of another episode of What Got You There. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen all the way through. If you found value in this, the best way you can support the show is giving us a review, rating it, sharing it with your friends, and also sharing on social. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Looking forward to you guys listening to another episode. If you guys are like me and love listening to podcasts, but don't always have time to listen to the complete episodes, you need to check out podcastnotes.org. What Podcast Notes does is they take the most popular and best podcasts around and distills them down to written breakdowns of each individual episodes. They cover health and wellness, startups and entrepreneurship, leadership, innovation, and critical thinking. You can even find the breakdown of some of the What Got You There podcast episodes at podcastnotes.org. I highly recommend you guys checking them out. Making change transpire. That's the mission behind the most amazing tasting protein bar brand taking the nutrition industry by storm. That brand, they're MCT Co., and they make the most delicious, keto friendly, all natural collagen protein bars. If you're obsessed with the quality of food going into your body like I am, then head out and pick up these amazing bars jammed with 10 grams of collagen protein. They only have two to three net carbs, no added sugar and loaded with high-quality MCT oil for the healthy fats from coconuts. Whether you're busy running the kids around from activity to activity, a professional athlete, or just someone looking for a great-tasting convenience snack, do yourself a favor, head to mctco.com and use code WGYT for 20% off your order. Do you guys miss your favorite childhood cereals but had to give them up because of all the sugar? Meat? Catalina Crunch, the world's first keto friendly zero sugar cereal in delicious dark chocolate, cinnamon toast, maple waffle, and honey graham. When the founder of Catalina Crunch was diagnosed at age 17 with type 1 diabetes, he set out to satisfy his chocolate craving and created his own. This low carb, zero sugar cereal will power you through the day with 10 grams of plant based protein, 6 grams Grams of fiber to fill you up, and is also gluten-free, grain-free, dairy-free, and 100% plant-based. Don't forget about that turmeric as well to help fight inflammation and boost immunity. If you want to enjoy and receive 10% off your entire order, head to CatalinaCrunch.com. That's Catalina, C-A-T-A-L. I-N-A crunch.com and use code WGYT10 for 10% off. I just finished snacking on some of the dark chocolate and it was delicious. You guys need to head out and pick some up today. If you guys enjoyed the smooth sounds of today's episode, then you can thank Brian Lapries, our sound engineer. And if you enjoyed the intro song, check out Justin Great, the man behind it. I can't thank you guys enough for listening. Looking forward to you tuning in next time. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you?